My name is Ian Burns. I'm the president and CEO of Service Credit Union. We understand that money can be complex, emotional, and sometimes uncomfortable as a topic to navigate. In our over 80 plus years in helping our members with financial fitness, we've seen a lot. Welcome to Open Money, a podcast series by Service Credit Union. Through our guest stories, we will unpack the emotional relationships that people have with money in an open, raw, and respectful way. We will be diving into the emotion and challenges in managing one's finances and the resources to help you feel good about your money. Let's get into it. Money is such an emotional topic. On the surface, money is numbers. We're often taught that we're meant to understand money in a logical and analytical way. So to be emotional about something generally viewed in only practical terms can be seen as taboo or even weak-minded. But who among us hasn't experienced emotion in relation to money? From the stress associated with big life purchases or mounting debt to the thrill of reaching a financial goal. Now, there are plenty of financial advice podcasts out there, but we want to do something a little differently and talk about the emotional side of money. We aim to help you explore emotional journeys some have with money in hopes you might consider more thoughtfully your own relationship to it. In this series, we'll talk with folks who will share their emotional financial journeys. We will speak to financial professionals about their observations when it comes to the interplay between emotions and finances. And we will speak to mental health professionals about the psychology behind these heavy hitter subjects. I'm your host. My name is Vanessa Bowen, and I'm a chartered professional accountant who has worked for a decade in corporate finance and public accounting before starting my own business, Mintworthy. Launching the business five years ago, Mintworthy was born out of my observations of the women I met and their relationship with money. I noticed the ways they approached the topic with considerable anxiety and apprehension. And so in this first episode of Open Money, we'll talk about women and money. I was raised by a single mother who I watched work extremely hard, but at the same time struggle to take care of our family. This is where my money story was born. It was birthed out of a belief that you need a partner to be financially secure and that women really aren't savvy about money like men are. I saw this narrative plague me when I started my career. I was able to support myself okay, but still, I was subconsciously waiting for Prince Charming to come and financially rescue me. I lacked the financial knowledge and confidence in myself to believe that I was smart enough and capable enough to manage my money and build my own financial future. That narrative changed when I found myself deep in debt and renting a condo I could barely afford. I remember calling my landlord and actually asking him if I could break the lease. Of course, he denied the request. But honestly, that only reinforced to me the story that men control the money and that they are in charge of my financial destiny. That day, I made the decision that I could and would figure out my finances and create my own financial freedom. I eventually moved out of that condo into a basement apartment, 
created a budget thanks to the help of a female mentor. And within a few years, I had saved six figures and purchased my first investment property. I felt empowered. I felt financially confident, but more than anything, I felt worthy, worthy to create and control my own financial destiny. As a financial coach, I've worked with a lot of women clients and see my old self in them. I know the money stories that we have inherited or those our society has ingrained within us. I know how we tie our self-worth to the money in our account and believe we are good at numbers and can't figure it out on our own. I know how we shrink our dreams to match the size of our bank accounts or stay in toxic relationships because of the money. I've supported many women over the years and I have seen my clients step into their financial power and regain their financial control. My hope is that we don't wait to be invited. My hope is that we create our own tables and invite other women to join them. Jillian Reichman didn't wait to get invited to that table. She's a single mom from Edmonton with two girls, 15 and eight years old. She had her first daughter as a teen and so quickly set her eyes on creating as stable a financial situation as she could. She grew up with two entrepreneurial parents but even so, conversations around money were left fairly vague. In my household, money wasn't a huge topic of conversation. My parents separated when I was one. Um, so I mostly I saw my mom working really hard. You know, we were told to turn off the lights and save power. Um, but outside of those conversations, it was just I knew she worked hard and um, that that's what you have to do to earn money. Jillian is a masseuse and wellness expert, and she had dreams of starting and owning her own practice. She started small by seeing clients in her home, but soon after she separated from the father of her second child, she decided to buy him out of the house so that she and her girls could have a home base. But her finances did take a hit, and she wasn't sure if she was ready yet to grow her business even though it was, of course, her dream. She and her business partner hustled to grow their client base and soon found a dream space to expand their wellness business. Jillian was not in as comfortable financial place as she would have liked to be, but she knew this was an opportunity too good to pass up and sign the lease. It paid off, and today her professional life is thriving. But how does she get so good at handling and organizing money? A curiosity to learn was a big part of it. But as it turned out, community played a big role too. One of my clients and I had a conversation one day on the massage table um, about a blog we were both reading called Mr. Money Mustache. And um, it's a man out of Colorado. He lives a super frugal lifestyle. He has a blog about how he lives with frugality as well as like his investments and his projects and just like living life. And we just had a conversation about how interesting that was because our society is so like instant gratification. And at the end of our conversation, we kind of mentioned to each other how it's interesting that women, especially, but people don't talk about money. And that was just so refreshing to have that conversation 
with each other. And so from there, we're like, well, maybe we should start our own little like women's finance club. Uh, so it was just the two of us. And then I kind of started mentioning it to more clients, um, just as like little conversations would arise. And we ended up having, I think it was by the end of it, kind of 14 people, depending on the month that would stagger and we'd all bring a little snack and some wine. And with all of our connections, we're able to bring in people to come chat with us. So we had, and they, they just came in because they wanted to share their knowledge, not because we were paying them or anything. So it was this free thing to come to where we just got to learn and eat and drink wine. But we had everyone from like mortgage brokers, insurance brokers, a lawyer talking about wills. Um, we had people who invested in real estate coming in talking about commercial real estate. We had people uh, talking about residential real estate. We had bankers. We had honestly like all these amazing people come in and teach us. For three years, these women would share book and article recommendations around managing your finances, meet with experts, and share with each other advice, anecdotes, and tips and tricks that work for them. They really just set time aside to talk to each other about money, something many of them said they had never really had a space for, whether it was while they were growing up or even as adults with their peers. Despite the fact, as they agreed, it was a very crucial part of life. This women's finance club they created took the mystery and therefore the fear out of so many different aspects when it came to empowering them about their own financial decisions. And it was at this finance club that Jillian understood how she wanted to start talking to her daughters about money. One day, a longtime client and women's finance club attendee told Jillian about a book called The Entitlement Trap, how to rescue your child with a new family system of choosing, earning, and ownership by Linda and Richard Eyre. At the heart of their plan is the family economy, complete with a family bank, checkbooks for kids, and a system of initiative building responsibilities that teaches kids to earn money for the things they want. Some are tried and true common chores like cleaning your room. Others are more subtle but equally self-reliance building habits like being in charge of getting yourself up in the morning. The idea is to teach kids a sense of initiatives and a motivations about the value of a dollar and saving it, sure, but also how to harness money for the use of joy, too. So when she was 10, I bought her an alarm clock and I got her a bank card <laughs> and she had her list of morning responsibilities and evening responsibilities. Each time she would get $2.50, which seems like... Not a lot, but actually it is a lot. And what, Jillian, is your hope when it comes to how your daughters truly understand how to handle money and how to take care of themselves? I think to live within your means, plan for the future, enjoy, because money is also supposed to be enjoyed. You can't just like sock it away. You have to have fun and live your life because you don't know when the world's going to change for you. So play, but within your means. It is likely no surprise that mental health and financial health are tightly linked. 
We need some financial flow to feel secure in this world, to fill our bellies, to lock our doors, to keep the lights on. And the majority of the world's poor are in fact women. Globally, they earn 24% less than men. And at the current rate of progress, it'll take 170 years to close the gap. There are 700 million fewer women than men in paid work. Dr. Nasreen Khatri is a psychologist and neuroscientist based in Toronto, and she studies the link between brain health and financial health, particularly in women, and has found that poor health in one area often leads to poor health in the other. So we know that women actually are diagnosed with depression twice as often as men, and they're also diagnosed with dementia twice as often as men. And that's not a coincidence because we know that people who have a depression history in midlife are twice as likely to develop dementia later in life as people who don't have that history. And so when you put all of that together, women experience depression and dementia twice as often as men, and they're also more likely to have financial problems. And so what that does is it impacts brain health all told. And so I was beginning to see this in my practice. In fact, financial stressors, ironically, are one of the things that drive people into treatment. So they have to kind of, at some, in some cases, pay for the, the chance to problem solve what they're experiencing. But basically, uh, Vanessa, the, the bottom line is that women experience poverty and financial problems at a higher rate than men do, but they also experience mood and cognitive problems. But the issue with that is that cognitive problems uh, due to, to depression, because it happens in depression, or dementia, really impact financial decision-making. So just like when you're stressed, it's hard to make really good judgments about complicated things. And financial decision-making is actually quite complicated. It really inspired me to, to go in this direction and find out more about what can be done. So 70% of people who live in poverty are women, but a lot of those women are also mothers. So there's issues on you know everything from putting food on the table to getting affordable housing to remaining safe to raising children, to uh, procuring childcare, to staying in uh, paid employment that's fair and equitable. So we know that the pandemic has been very stressful and it kind of continues to be. Why? Because women often had to cut back on their careers or quit because they were doing uh, childcare duties or elder care. And so for a lot of women, you know, around 40 years and up, they're kind of in what is usually called the sandwich generation, but I like to call it the pizza generation, where they're um, taking care of unlaunched children, but they're also taking care of elderly parents. But the reality is there's a lot of lateral, uh, you know, um, responsibilities that kind of spread out onto the horizon. So it's more like a pizza. You could be taking care of friends, siblings, partners, ex-partners. There's all kinds of caregiving that women do, and we know that caregiving is depressogenic, so it affects your mental health. But if it affects your mental health, it's going to affect your financial health because of, it may impair decision-making, but also you're less likely to be able to work at a, at a high level. Women are really disadvantaged when it comes to the financial side of health because of the gender gap in pay, uh, because of employment rates, and uh, women were much more affected by that during the pandemic. At the height of the pandemic, we were actually uh, 
kind of moved back to my mother's generation in terms of how many women were actually in the workforce in North America. So that's a big change. Um, and women also experience sexism, racism, um, especially if they're racialized women, and that impacts their earning power and their ability to be economically stable. But you know, financial health is a key to health all told. So whether it's physical health, safety, mental health, housing, cognitive health, all these things are related. You may have heard of the great wealth transfer, where by 2030, millennials and Gen Z will inherit trillions of dollars from previous generations. And by 2028, women will control 42% of the wealth in Canada, many from divorce or widowhood. But as Dr. Katri says, that may not be the good news you think it is. So in 2017, women were, um, you know, had $1.3 trillion in wealth. And by 2026, that number is going to be $3.3 trillion. And so the problem here is that the rubber doesn't hit the road until there's a, a big life event, like there's a transfer of wealth through inheritance, through intergenerational transfer, through earnings, divorce, and widowhood. And so what we know is that this is not a good time to start managing money. Why? Because you're older, you might have um, some sort of normal age-related changes to cognition that could impair or impact um, financial decision-making. You're also not as experienced. So, you know, with money or finances, it's just like anything else. You live and learn. And so you haven't had that experience behind you. But essentially what it comes down to is women are going to be the ones who are handling more money. So they'll be handling 70% of all money by 2026. And they really feel that they are um, not prepared for that. So 81% of women feel that they're unprepared for retirement. The same amount say that um, they don't have a plan for retirement. So the number one thing we have to do is we need to talk. You know, money talks, why can't we? Talk about money. The very thing I didn't do growing up around my family dinner table. And I'm sure many of you can relate. Money is so necessary for so many ways we need to survive. Yet there's a lot of shame and confusion around understanding and managing our finances, especially for women who are frequently not socialized around money the same way men are. But as Dr. Katri says, much in the way we're born with a body, it doesn't mean we're meant to understand every way to take care of it, especially when problems arise. That's what healthcare professionals are for. And we can treat our money and our relationship to it much the same way. The first thing is that we need to talk. There's no such thing as a stupid question about money. The second one is to learn. There's lots of free resources. There's resources through your bank, um, you know. So it's, it's really important to avail yourself of, of free resources where you can learn about what investing is. You can learn about where you stand and budgeting and retirement and any other goals that you have. And um, I think it's important if you, if you feel that you, you know, 
really don't don't know is to get an advisor and have somebody because it doesn't mean it's for life it's someone who can kind of do the assessment so just like if you were experiencing stomach pain or something you wouldn't say to yourself well i guess i'm just going to live with it i'm going to tell nobody and hope for the best no of course you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to say what what is this and if you don't understand your financial situation the same thing goes and finally it's important to make a plan it could be a small plan about budgeting, it can be a big plan about your hopes and dreams, but it's it's important to start planning and strategizing. Shannon Lee Simmons, finance planning expert. She started her career nearly 15 years ago in Toronto's financial core before striking out on her own to create New School of Finance, a women-led financial planning firm. She's conducted probably close to a thousand financial planning sessions at this point. Here she shares some insights about her observations around how men and women financially plan differently, how she's watched a woman's role shift when it comes to being an active participant in financial planning with her partner, and how we need to start socializing kids of all genders to interact with money. Here's Shannon. I'll give a classic example of a trend that I see. Somebody uh, who is, you know, uh, a female, she's 30. There's thinking about, okay, how am I going to take care of my financial situation now? What am I going to do if I have kids in the future? Maybe there should, maybe there aren't kids, maybe there are kids, maybe whatever, but it's like thinking about that piece or if they don't want kids thinking about like, okay, well, I'm not having kids. So what about my nieces and nephews? Like there's this caregiving piece. And then it's like, well, what about my aging parents? So there's lots of conversations around taking care of others, however that looks for people. And a lot of the, okay, do I buy a house? Do I um, not buy a house? Do I do this? Do I do that? How do I work my pension? A lot of that is around feeling secure with money and confident in a plan. Then if I have the same conversation with somebody who's the same, um, like a male, a lot of it, the question is sometimes phrased as, how much money do I need to make to do what I want to do instead of what do I have to work with and how do I, how do I take care of everyone I need to take care of? There seems to be this confidence in future income streams that I just find a different natural perspective, which is really interesting. Um, that's not to say that some women don't ask that. And that's not to say that, uh, that men are working for care to be caregivers, but I'm just saying like the general first thing out the door, that's a really big difference that I've, I've seen. In her decade and a half of financial planning, Shannon has also witnessed the shift when it comes to how couples approach their finances. So when I first started, I started doing this on Bay Street. And again, this was 15 years ago. And at that level of high net worth wealth, and it was a demographic of people, I really felt like the the person that was always contacting us was the, the like, in a, in a hetero relationship, it was like the, the male. And the woman would just sit there in the meeting, not saying anything. And they were all like 65 plus. So this was a totally different generation of women and sitting there and in totally in a different like wealth bracket. And I remember feeling like, wow, they don't, they don't really take part. And I would, you know, try to do what I could to make sure that everybody was on the same page. I don't find that anymore. You probably find this too. 90% of our initial phone contact or initial contact is from the women so I feel like the household finances over the last 40 years has shifted into domestic labor that now the is a lot of women are handling. So it's like it's like part of the groceries and part of the gas. It's become a part of the shared household domestic labor in the same way that the dishes are. So you got to work out a situation with your partner on who's handling what. 
And I have really found that a lot of women are now like spearheading it. Like, I feel like that changed from the time I started my career to now, like who's actually making the decisions and who's managing the household finances is different now than it was 15 years ago. And though fewer and fewer folks carry cash on them these days, says Shannon, there is no better way to start kids off with their lifelong relationship to money than to literally have them hold it in their hand. I think all parents should have kids hold money, even though I know that that's we're headed towards a cashless economy. I understand that. But when they're younger, it is the only way to tangibly have a child hold five dollar, five loonies, go to the store, spend two of them and have three left and really fundamentally understand that. And I think that's where we start build, building in those budgeting skills from like the, from a young age with physical money. It wasn't until the mid 70s that grown women could apply for a credit card without a co-signer. I was born only a little more than a decade after that. So it's only roughly since my generation that women could, that women can actually grasp financial sovereignty. There are many Jillian Reichmans of the world trying to have it her way. Her kids, her business, her ability to take care of business on her terms. As women, we are so frequently taught that we're not meant to be a full and loud voice when it comes to our finances. But as the world changes, as women become more and more in control of global wealth, it must change. Not the least of which because we deserve to feel empowered about the subject of money, one that's a driving force in terms of quality of life, materialistically, sure, but also emotionally. So I invite you to the open money table. Here we talk about money. On the next episode of Open Money, we're looking at peer pressure when it comes to our finances. How do we balance the life we want to live tomorrow with the life we want to live today? Open Money is written and produced by Julia DeLaurentis Johnston. It's hosted by me, Vanessa Bowen, with help from Ian Burns, Service Credit Union CEO. Content strategy is by Chris T. Our theme song is by Andrew Austin. Ryan Thompson of Hot Slice Media edits our show, and Open Money is a production of Service Credit Union. Thank you to our guests this episode, Jillian Reichman, Dr. Nasreen Katri, and Shannon Lee Simmons for lending us their time to record this show remotely. If you like what you heard, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about Open Money too. I'm Vanessa Bowen. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Service Credit Union. Feel good about your money.